Hello and welcome to another episode of Mostly Weather, a podcast in association with the UK's Met Office. So today, guys, we're talking about the structure of the atmosphere, right? We are indeed. I feel like we're in a significant amount of the atmosphere today. Yeah, so we had, this, explain, we had this bright idea, didn't we, to go and do a sort of roving forecast to, to change up the timbre of the, uh, of the location. Unfortunately, it's raining, it's windy, and we're having trouble standing up. So uh, I hope we've enjoyed this foray into the actual atmosphere, guys, haven't we? <laughs> It's quite cold today as well. So uh, the topic of today is the structure of the atmosphere. Am I right? Yeah, Everyone's so what, agreed. So yeah. what part of the atmosphere are we currently in? Then? We're in in the windy bit. Yeah. In, in well, the uh, in the troposphere. Yeah, the troposphere, right? And more than that, actually, we're in the planetary boundary layer, right? So I think today we're going to start at the bottom, right? Start at the ground and then work our way up to space, whatever that is. Up through up through the levels. Yeah, we'll get to that later. All right, let's go inside. Good idea. Yep. Let's go. Okay, wait, we're back in the studio. None of us have perished on the journey from outside. I can we're... just about feel my nose now. Yeah, yeah, I've got cold toes. It's okay, good, to, it's be good to be inside. So we talked about the structure of the atmosphere. We're going to start at the ground and work our way up. So, I mean, maybe, actually, maybe before we do that, should we just start with some basics, right? That sounds good. Yeah, so as we get higher in the atmosphere, the air pressure gets less, right? What does that mean? There's less air molecules? Yeah, I guess so. I, sorry, yeah, I wasn't sure what you were getting at there. <laughs> I mean, different things happen as you go higher up, so the temperature doesn't necessarily do what you expect it to do. Yeah, but the, I guess what I'm starting with is the air pressure does do what you expect it to exactly, do, Exactly, right? So yeah. the, I think this is a good thing to get straight at the beginning. So as we get higher up, for a given volume of air, so for a cubic metre of air, we've got fewer air molecules higher up. Yeah, the higher you go. So why, why is that happening? It's because the, the the air is essentially piling up and, and with lots of air above the surface that we're at, we've got a lot of pressure acting on the lower layers. Is that yeah, right? so it's, yeah. e it's easy to talk about air pressure, isn't it? But we, like when you actually stop to think about what those words mean, it, I mean, it does what it says in the tin. You know, if you look if you look straight up into the sky, above you, you're seeing kilometers of air molecules, which actually weighs something, right? We forget this. This gas actually has a mass and it's sitting there squashing down on top of you. So this is what we call one atmosphere for obvious reasons, right? It's mm -hmm, atmospheric mm -hmm. pressure. And so if you imagine, I was thinking about this when I was preparing my show notes. Did anybody ever uh, do that really immature thing at school where everybody jumps on top of somebody else in the playground in primary school? Like we oh, call I that never a, did. Oh, a yes, pylon yeah. or something, right? <laughs> so if you're, or, or I think the more traditional um, analogy is like acrobats in a tower, isn't Bun it? Bundle, we call yeah, it. Bundle, bundle, there you go, yeah. right? So if you're at the bottom of that, you feel like super squashed. And if you're at the top, the further up you are, the less squashed you feel, right? And it's the same with the atmosphere. So the stuff at the bottom has been squashed. All the air molecules have been pushed really close together. And the higher you go up, the the more they can kind of spread out and the less closely they're pushed together. So but I, this isn't because sorry. the air molecules are having a bundle, so to speak. It, it brings us to gravity, yeah, doesn't it? So the reason that they are being pulled towards the surface of the Earth is because of the force of gravity. Yeah, which because it's a gas like and it floats it's tempting to just think of it as not having a weight but it, but it does it's just being held down by gravity which we will come to the higher up we get in the atmosphere yeah okay so that's first things first i reckon so what about the troposphere we talked about this outside that's the bit of the atmosphere that we're in at the minute isn't it so so uh i think it might be interesting to discuss um you know you talk about the tro troposphere what defines the troposphere yeah but also what defines the other levels in the atmosphere that you might have heard about, and it's and it's temperature, right? That, yeah. that, that that's the the defining 
um, thing about an atmospheric level is is the direction the temperature is going in. So do we want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, let's do that, yeah. Um, so, that, so the troposphere, the temperature essentially is decreasing as you get higher, and yep. it's the it's the layer that's closest to the Earth, right? Yeah, so we, t- we talked about this in a couple of previous episodes, didn't we? It's something I've been wanting to get back to for ages. One of the main reasons is because it was my interview question for my job at the Met Office. <laughs> why? <laughs> so uh, I'm assuming you got it right? I did, actually, in the end. So why does the atmosphere get colder, or why does the troposphere, I should say more specifically, get colder as we go higher up? We, we know this to be true, right? Obviously, the top of mountains, there's snow. You know, it's tempting to naively think that you're closer to the sun, so if anything, it should be warmer. It's, you know, isn't, isn't it a ridiculous place to start? So why, why is it getting colder? So a couple of reasons, I guess. So the air pressure that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So um, so the gas laws, essentially, is that, that a gas will reduce, uh, as the pressure reduces, um, the temperature will reduce. So, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, we're into all sorts of other things, isn't it? Because the volume will increase as well. So there's, yeah. there's different sides of that equation. But, but so, uh, so the way I, I'll tell you how I answered it in my, because I didn't there's, know. There's another thing as go well. On, go though. on, Doug. Well, you're further, you're further from the surface, right? So, so uh, the, the lower troposphere is being uh, heated from the ground, essentially. So the sun's yeah. heating up the ground and. So that's right. So there's two things, isn't it? Radiating, the, you know, in the infrared. Back the, thing you're, the, the thing you're talking about there is essentially, obviously, the air is see-through, right? Yeah, yeah. So all Invisible. the light goes through the air yeah. and hits the ground. So that's when it starts to warm up because the ground the ground absorbs this heat, okay? So that's what we're starting with. It's the ground that's heating up the air. But what happens next, you know? So what happens next is we get this sort of um, lava lamp thing, okay? We've talked about this before as well. So you heat up the ground, uh, the air at the ground a bit. That becomes slightly less dense and wants to rise, okay? And, and as it does this, it goes to an area of lower pressure, which is what we were talking about before, because there's less pressure higher up. The air starts to expand, and then that goes to what you were saying, Doug, right? The, so, so the way I, I explained this, because I didn't know the answer in my interview question off pat, and I had to think about it. And, and one of the things you can think about with, um, with air molecules is, so the faster air molecules go, that means the more energy they have and the, the more heat they have. So this is something we'll come back to in the podcast later, I think. So as, as, your, as your bit of air expands, the molecules slow down, yeah? And so the question I got asked after that was, well, why does that happen? Okay, so if you think about a, a ping pong bat and a ping pong ball, you know if you like bounce it on the table and you squash it with a ping pong bat? Yeah. And, and as you squash up. it, it gets faster yeah, and faster. Yeah. So that's exactly the same thing, okay? Oh, that's a nice, so, nice image, yeah. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? So we're, we're doing the opposite now. Effectively, we're pulling the ping pong bat up and the, the ball or the molecules are slowing so, down. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, why do they slow down? What happens to what happens to that energy? You know, there's this there's this fundamental principle of physics. We can't destroy energy. It just ha- turns into other kinds of energy. Go on. This bit took me a wee while. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking hard here. So let's recap. We've got particles moving apart slower. Yeah. So as, as the air expands, as it as it rises higher up because of convection. Okay. As it expands, the molecules slow down, which means they cool down, which is why it's colder. Question is, why do they slow down? What happens to the extra energy? I mean, the answer is, if, if anybody, like I think you do this in GCSE or A-level physics, there's, there's one four-letter word that you have to remember, which is work, right? So there's this, there's this uh, concept in physics of doing work. And what, what this means in, in sort of normal words is that we said the air expands, right? This, this bit of air becomes bigger as it gets into lower pressure. So it's doing work on the air around exactly. it. Exactly. It's okay. doing work to push out that box, which means it's, it's got to spend its energy to make this, this blob of air bigger. You know, that just doesn't happen for free. And so you spend the heat 
in effect, making the box bigger, which means that the air cools down. All right. So this is this is a this is a really important and actually a sort of slightly subtle concept about why it gets colder as you move up in the troposphere like this. So that's really important. I hope you explained that properly. We, maybe we should put some details on we'll the website. Definitely to go put over some, it. some diagrams. Yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah. I, I want ping pong bats. Yeah. Know, I want yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as I says, I mean, it, it pulls back to the the gas law. So the the one thing that most people learn at school, which is that pressure times volume over temperature is a constant. So in in this situation, if we think, well, our air mass has to always meet that constant value. So PV yeah, over T. So yeah. as we decrease the pressure something else on that side of the equation also has to decrease to keep us at a constant so if we decrease the pressure we also sorry so the, we decrease the temperature because we've got pressure over temperature they're proportional to a constant so that means the that the volume's got bigger well does the volume have to increase that's yes. an interesting question if the pressure is lower the volume of your of your parcel of air is increased as it goes higher but could you just get away with reducing the temperature for the same result. That's going to depend on the local conditions, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think so there's some is, more is, subtleties here that you is, know you can is, encapsulate it in basic physics, yeah, but actually, head scratching. This is the other thing that's worth saying, isn't it? We've we've said quite glibly that as we get higher in the atmosphere, uh, the troposphere, it gets cooler. But we all know it's a bit more complicated than that, right? Sometimes there's a blob of warm air that's coming over in one weather system, or you know, some winds brought some cold air from somewhere else. So this is just the sort of first order thing. Okay, so so we talk about the troposphere as being a well-mixed layer. And okay. that's exactly what tropos actually stands for as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah it's the Greek word for, uh, yeah, mixed or, oh, okay. or turbulent. So that's so, where it comes from. So it's because we've been talked about convection before. And, and it's like a, this lava lamp thing, you know, you have this overturning and that mixes all the air up. So it's a relatively well-mixed layer. So that's until we get to the top of the troposphere. So what happens then? Ah, uh, the tropopause, the end of the troposphere. And yeah. then you get this inversion in, in, in temperature gradient, don't you? As you get higher, it starts getting warmer again, which is, feels utterly bizarre, doesn't it, if you haven't thought about this before. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, but kind of makes sense, I guess. Uh, um, and sounds like we're back to your field, Neil, atmospheric chemistry. Ha. <laughs> My field. I, so for the listeners at home, I, I'm a physicist who accidentally got a PhD in atmospheric organic chemistry after almost failing GCSE chemistry all those years ago. But um, So here we start getting into the ozone layer. Yeah, right, that's, that's it, what we've got. That's so the, the atmospheric constituents are starting to change as you go higher up. And all of a sudden, you've got this big, thick layer of ozone. Which... So, so the way I, I like to think about it, I think, is if, if we just skip ahead for 10 seconds to the mesosphere, which is the next layer, that actually, temperature-wise, does a similar thing to the troposphere. Okay, So it cools as it gets higher. And hopefully, we've explained why that kind of is what you might expect. So the stratosphere, the layer that's sandwiched in the middle, does the opposite. And so, you know, why is that? And you guys have just said, it, what it boils down to basically is there's this whopping great big layer of this gas called ozone, which absorbs heat, right? That, that's the key thing. The, the, when this, earlier we said the, sky's the air's transparent and the sunlight Ooh. comes through and hits the ground. Gross oversimplification. It's an oversimplification, <laughs> right? So the point is that the really, the big exception to that is this whopping great layer of ozone. And what that does is it absorbs the heat and it turns this, this on its head. So it's not cooling as it gets higher in the stratosphere. We get this kink in the, in the temperature series. And that means that at the top of the troposphere where you've got this cool air. So uh, normally we've got hot air naturally rising because it's more buoyant, mm. as we were saying. But actually when you get to the bottom of the stratosphere, 
the air can't then rise because the air above it's actually hotter. So you get, I mean, stratus is kind of layering. So you get this much more layered, much more sort of static. So, so it's not mixed, right? Layered, like we were yeah, saying exactly. with the troposphere. And this is, uh, is this why planes like to fly there? It's, there's less turbulence, right? There must be, if there's not as much mixing. So I, th I think, so planes like to fly high because there's less air for them to bump yeah, into. Okay. So you use less fuel, right? Less drag. So yeah. how high, actually we should get into some numbers here, like, how high do planes fly? How high are mountains? Where's weather? How high's the troposphere? Okay, so I've got I've got from my notes, I've got the, the tropopause or the top of the troposphere at about, on average, 12 kilometers. Yeah. And obviously that's kind of very locally and I think it varies between the tropics and the poles yeah, as well. That's right. but that's yeah, that's yeah, higher in the tropics. So why is, why is that? Because it's warmer. Yeah. So you've got more mixing, yeah, exactly. uh, you've got air masses Deeper rising mixing, higher. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, so what, what about planes then? So planes are at the... Uh, in the stratosphere, aren't they? The bottom of the stratosphere? So I think they're more like the top to of the troposphere. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, 30,000 feet. So this is the awkward because I've been doing... 11 yeah, kilometers. Kilometers, yeah. 30, yeah. So about, yeah, yeah it's not so far off. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I think the, so there are exceptions. So there are planes that fly in the stratosphere. So I think the Concorde, for instance, used to fly the uh, stratosphere. But yeah, again, that's true. it's going right. much faster, so it needs far less air, right? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But as you say, getting back to where other things happen, so yeah. we've got planes sort of lower stratosphere. The weather, though, is in entirely or what we would think of every day whether yeah, yeah there are some exceptions as there always are with these things uh within the the trop troposphere yeah um and then we've got weather balloons which then you've got to throw the nomenclature again because they're actually going up through the troposphere and into the stratosphere okay. <laughs> to measure vertical profiles so weather balloons don't just measure in inverted commas weather right? yeah yeah all of a sudden you find yourself in trouble with the naming um and what else did you mention you said something else, Neil. Where does stuff happen? Oh, mountains. mountains. Yeah. Yeah. How tall is Everest? Tallest mountain? Eight and a half thousand meters. Twenty-seven and a half thousand feet. So yeah. we're talking yeah. about pretty near the top of the troposphere. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's about the altitude that planes are flying at, just a bit below, isn't it? Which is quite a thought, really. Walking up yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 the uh, the uh, apparently there's like thirty percent of the oxygen or something at, at that at that height. So um, people who are doing that without um, uh, supplementary oxygen are really working their bodies hard. Yeah, so this this is the thing, isn't it? This is why it's so hard to climb Everest specifically. I mean, it's obviously a long walk, but it's more than that. It's really <laughs> just that there's not much. It's a long walk upwards. Yeah, there's not much yeah. oxygen for your body to burn. That's the that's the really big deal, right? That's it. And it's not that the proportions of the gases right. have changed in the atmosphere. It's, it's just less gas. It's because there's less <laughs> gas. Yeah, you're you're breathing in. Like the having to breathe in a lot more to get in the same volume. Yeah, yeah. So, so have you guys place. ever been to to high altitude and I've, done yeah, stuff before? Yeah, I've been about about uh, five over five thousand meters. So have you ever had altitude sickness? Oh, it's weird. I've had altitude oh, you've sickness. You've had altitude sickness as well. Yeah, it, everything. I felt like a very very old man. It feels like an absolutely terrible hangover. That's <laughs> that's the best way I could describe it. I think. And do you know the time I realised I had altitude sickness was after this. I th I just thought there was something completely up. I couldn't figure it out. And then I descended on a bus and I just, you know, it literally in the space of 10 yeah. minutes, just felt fine again. And that, you know, that's what they say the key treatment is, I think, right? Isn't it? It's to descend. So this this shows actually um, one thing that, that really um, not surprised me, but, you know, I was reminded of is how things, how fast things change as you go up. Mm. So the lapse rate, so the, the, the change in temperature on average as you go up is, re is really fast. You know, it gets... Um, half a degree more than half a degree colder per 100 meters that you that you go up in the atmosphere um in the tropos in the in the troposphere anyway in the bottom so that's pretty fast as you walk up a mountain every 100 meters it's you know half a degree you can expect on average um and it's the same with pressure um 
and it gets cold you know it gets cold up there um, towards towards the top so you're talking about minus 40 minus 60 degrees c really quickly yeah yeah so i mean i think that's right isn't it so the, yeah those are the temperatures we're talking about the tropopause isn't it minus 50 minus 60 that kind of thing mm. okay but to put into context what then happens in the stratosphere yeah. is that at the top of the stratosphere which is called the stratopause mm -hmm. Uh, following on with the theme, um, it can get back up to about minus five. Yeah, right. so pretty. So there's a huge yeah. swing between yeah. those two layers of getting so, colder and then getting hotter. So we mentioned that the stratosphere is sort of really associated with the ozone layer, right? So why? What is ozone? Why is it in a layer? I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand over to you. I mean, it's it's <laughs> uh, O3, isn't it? So yeah, it's right. so oxygen what, molecules. Yeah. Okay. So it's literally oxygen. just molecule of. Uh, with oxygen atoms. Yeah, three atoms of oxygen joined together. So normally it's worth saying the oxygen that we breathe and on the ground, that's two oxygen atoms joined together. So mm -hmm. that's your bog standard oxygen, okay? But then ozone is just that, but with a third oxygen jammed on the side, okay? And I understand that you don't really want to be breathing. Yeah, that. no, it's not cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it, so it's pretty it. chemically reactive. So it basically goes around, you know, reacting with your body, which is something you don't want to be happening yeah. if you can help it. Um, okay. It's happy to have it in the ozone layer, I guess. This is good. Well, yeah. So, yeah, the ozone layer is pretty famous, I think it's fair to say, because of the lack of ozone layer <laughs> in the past uh, due to some of the stuff we were doing. Okay. So, so talking about why it's in a layer, I think it's worth doing. And as far as I understand it, it's to do with this thing called photochemistry. Okay. So basically, we need energy from sunlight to make some of these reactions happen. And... The reason that's good for making ozone is it breaks these two um, coupled oxygen atoms apart. So you've got two single oxygens. Then obviously, you know, if you can join that single oxygen onto a double oxygen atom, you get three. All right. You know, so that, I think that bit is relatively OK to understand. But the reason it's in a layer, I think, is because if you're really high up in the atmosphere, you've almost got too much of the sun energy. So everything gets smashed into single oxygen atoms, right? Because oh, they're, they're okay. all so energetic. But lower down you don't have enough UV because it's all been used up in on the ozone layer to make ozone, okay? So when you're, which is exactly what we, why we don't get sunburned when we've got an ozone layer. But when we do, when we've got a hole in the ozone layer, you know, we do get sunburned because this UV gets through, okay? So the ozone layer is just, if you heard this expression, the Goldilocks zone, they use it in astrophysics. Oh, right. okay, yeah, so the, gold, so the Goldilocks things are, you know, in Goldilocks, the porridge it's is not like... not too cool and not too not, hot. Not too hot, yeah. not too cold, but yeah. just right. Just and right it's for this, life, right? Yeah, 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 right. And it's the same sort of with the, with the um, ozone layer, okay? So there's not too much energy. There's not too little energy. It's just right to kind of fry some of the oxygen, um, you know, double oxygen mo molecules and let them couple to make ozone. Okay, and not break down everything. Yeah, okay. not break down all the time, okay? So, so we're talking about a layer. Yeah. How deep is this layer? Any ideas? I mean, I... I saw something that said it was between maybe about 25 and 30 kilometers okay, cool. high. So I, okay. I mean, that, that's, that's real, but it's kind of a narrow zone for this Goldilocks area, yeah. isn't it? You know, really, really specific to our particular atmosphere and, you know, the UV rays that we're getting because it sort of picks up the middle frequency UV, I think. And it's, it's, it just shows how clever <laughs> the world is. Really. So, so we talked about the, the troposphere going up to give or take about 11 kilometers. So how much more is it to get up to the top of the stratosphere then? So the top of the stratosphere is at about 50 kilometers. So, you know, that stratosphere is deeper than the troposphere. Yeah, and then yeah. this ozone layer is sort of sitting about, you know, halfway, two thirds yeah. of the way up in, in the stratosphere. But there's all these things that, you know, we haven't known about them for that long. Yeah. So the ozone layer was only discovered in 1913, I think, by a couple of French physicists whose names I'm going to get horribly wrong. But I think Charles Fabry and Henri Busson, 
Um, but then it took, you know, another 70 odd years for people to really start exploring it and yeah. discover that we had an ozone hole. So actually, we should probably talk about this quickly. And, and one of the reasons is, have, has anybody seen these really amazing clouds that have been, people have been taking photos of in the last couple of days? Oh, we mentioned this in the previous episode. Yeah, and, they, and we, said you, cloud. we said you'd be really lucky if you saw some. Yeah. And literally a month later, Twitter has just gone nuts yesterday with these amazing photos of these mother of pearl clouds. So these are called polar stratospheric clouds, right? And actually, as we'll go on to talk about in a second, they're really important for the ozone hole. Okay, um, so. Are we saying these are in the stratosphere then? While yeah. we're in the stratosphere? They're about that kind of height. Yeah, so, so, the, uh, so do, do you guys- 40 or something? Yeah, something like that, okay. I think. So do you guys know why we're getting these really high clouds at the minute? So the, the reason they look cool is because they're high up and they reflect sunlight back to us. And, and you know, that, that gives us these clouds after the sun sort of started to set over our horizon that are really lit up. So as far as I understand it, you basically get these clouds when it's very, very cold in the stratosphere. So sort of minus 80 or minus 90. We were saying before, normally it's a bit more like minus 50, minus 60. And the reason that happens is when you get a really strong vortex around the pole, okay? So you get lots of air that just gets trapped over one of the poles and stays there, so you're not exchanging it with you're any other air. You're not mixing in any heat from any, exactly. anywhere else. Well, okay. more to the point, you're not mixing in any heat from where it's sunny. Yeah. So there is no sun at the pole at the minute, okay? So it just stays there. It gets colder and colder and colder and colder and colder. And then if this vortex, at the minute, the reason we're seeing these clouds is because this vortex has sort of slipped down towards us, so we can see the, where these clouds have formed, okay? So, um, but yeah, like I said, they're important for for depleted. Well, not important. that gives them the you know they're they're important in the chain of reactions that makes the ozone hole. Basically, have you, have you guys you, you heard anything about this? Uh, about more recently, I, I mean, I, I remember as a kid the the ozone hole being yeah. uh, being a big problem. Um, so, so what was it caused by? So it's caused by the CFCs, so so chemicals from fridges and aerosols at the time, uh, reacting with the ozone and um, and diminishing this ozone layer. So you're getting a, a huge ozone layer over the pole. Um, so ozone hole over the pole. I think was it British scientists in Antarctica noticed this? Yeah, I think uh, back that's in right. the early 80s. So so as as an aerosol scientist, I'd like to interject and say it wasn't aerosols; it was aerosol cans. And there's an important distinction. Okay, okay. I spent my entire academic career explaining the difference between aerosols, which are particles in the atmosphere, yeah. and aerosol cans, which are cans that make particles in the atmosphere. Okay, so, the, <laughs> so, so the propellant yeah, yeah, from yeah. the aerosol cans exactly, spot on, right? uh, has these uh, um, chlorofluorocarbons, is that That's right? It, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's the chlorine from that. That's that right. So um, we were talking about the, so this is where the chemical reactions. This yeah. is where the clouds okay. come into play, right? So the, if you've got chlorine, just atomic chlorine, one chlorine that wants to react really badly and it goes and reacts with the ozone and it catalytically depletes it which means that you don't use up this chlorine to to, to demolish your ozone oh right? it just so stays there and reacts it again. just helps the reaction happen it reacts again and again and again so this makes a big hole but the question is really how do you get your reactive chlorine from this complicated cfc gas that we were using as propellants and the answer is you need a reaction a chemical reaction which can only happen on the surface of these polar stratospheric clouds Okay, so that's the key bit of chemistry that they figured out. These are called heterogeneous reactions. So they're reactions that have to happen on a surface. 
and there ain't much surface in the stratosphere. It's mostly gas, right? But every now and again, you get these clouds that come along and zip, you create a load of this reactive chlorine, which goes around, if you've got the CFCs, right? Yeah. Uh, the man-made CFCs, which goes around depleting ozone. So you've got these beautiful clouds, and everybody's like, oh, wow, aren't yeah. they great? And they're destroying our ozone layer. Well, well, no, okay, they're not. These ones they're aren't. part of the process. These ones aren't, because everybody clubbed together and stopped, you know, belching loads of CFCs into the to the atmosphere. And the whole, the ozone hole has, has shrunk. Absolutely, I, yeah. I, I understand. So a great success a, a story. A great success story, good prediction. Cool. I think we've probably done the stratosphere now. So top of the stratosphere, predictably enough, is the stratopause. Indeed. And then we get into the mesosphere, uh, which, <laughs> funnily enough, the top of that's called the mesopause. But, yeah. we won't get there. <laughs> but the mesosphere is basically the most poorly understood part of the atmosphere. Is that right? I believe, yeah, because yeah. we talked about the height at which aircraft were flying and then these, these weather balloons that measure a bit more than weather. Um, they don't get up to the mesosphere because we're talking, you know, 50 to 80 kilometers. That's the sort of range of it. But it's below the orbit of things like the space station and satellites and things like that. So there's this big chunk of the atmosphere that not much really gets into. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a mystery zone. As you said, Neil, we know the temperature decreases. decreases yeah. So this is because it's mixed again, you know. So like the air turns over and, and this, like we were talking about in the troposphere, it gets colder as it gets higher. But um, at the top, we get to the next layer, which is kind of, I think it's pretty interesting, called the thermosphere. Oh, and it starts getting warmer again. Yeah, it starts getting warmer again. So why does that happen? Come on, I'm going to do this one. Uh, so you've got in, incredibly. It sounds like looking at look, looking at the notes again, like you've got incredibly high energy yeah. uh, molecules whizzing around, but not many of them. So this is the interesting thing. You said it gets warmer again, which is strictly so speaking, yeah, okay. strictly speaking, is true. So the gas, the gas molecules are moving really fast, but, but they're so far apart that actually the the chances of them hitting another gas molecule or hitting you while you're standing there or you know, falling there <laughs> are, are very slim. So you don't actually feel any of this heat. If you had a thermometer, the thermometer would read like, you know, below zero because it's radiating all its heat away faster than it's been given back by these molecules. So you've got, because because the air pressure is so low, right? You've got these molecules that are really, really hot, really energetic. So they're zipping around super fast. And in fact, what are the temperatures I've got written here? So some of these molecules are like two and a half thousand degrees uh, centigrade, you know, ridiculously hot. But um, the chances of meeting one are pretty slim. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's not physical temperature that you could really experience, isn't it? It's much more of an energy. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not temperature in the way we experience it. In the so is this the, the nice thing when you get to the top of the atmosphere and you're actually sort of exchanging, you're exchanging molecules with space? You're getting to the point where these molecules can achieve an escape velocity and just whiz off into space. So that's the best definition I've heard of what space actually is, I think. So when, when's, when's a molecule actually part of the atmosphere and when's it not mm. right and and you're right so when you've given them enough energy and they're far enough away from the earth so their gravity is low enough they can be going fast enough that, that instead of just like zipping away from earth and then bending back towards it they zip away they from earth and disappear off into the cosmos <laughs> yeah so the thermosphere yeah the thermosphere is quite interesting then because we've got these massive temperatures at the top but actually the bottom of it the mesopause is potentially the coldest naturally occurring place I won't say on mm. Earth because on's a bit misleading, but you know, it, it, within our planetary uh, environment, because it, it, you know, it can be down to about minus one four three. So there's this massive range of temperature scales within that that layer. But I guess it's it's a much deeper layer, I think, isn't it? 
Yeah, so I mean, the, so the mesosphere goes from about what do we what do we reckon like forty eight kilometers, fifty kilometers, up to just over eighty kilometers, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then, then that's the point that we start getting into this thermosphere uh, action starts getting hotter, which can go up to about seven hundred kilometers, something something like that, I think. And then beyond that, yeah, this is where where's space, where's the atmosphere question? Because beyond that, you potentially have something called the exosphere which exo just meaning kind of external or, or outer yeah and, and that can kind of go, like, go as far as you like yeah, up to like 600 kilometers i think that's sort of defined as okay so you're well beyond um say the international space station orbit there at some what's that like 250 kilometers or something? it's about 400 oh, is it 400 okay yeah i, I googled that one earlier yeah nice, nice one. so so you're you're beyond that the you're funny st- thing is we've been thinking about this all in terms of height thicknesses of these layers so we're saying you know well this layer is thicker and then the next layer is even thicker and stuff but actually if you think about it in mass or or, or things like that then it is not quite the same comparison oh, i say this so the vast majority of the mass is just so, in the troposphere yeah troposphere, like just above us yeah i've actually got the percentage written down somewhere okay so the troposphere is you know on the order of 90 percent of all the gas in the atmosphere is in the troposphere sort of 12 kilometers because of this like squashing bundle effect we were talking earlier and I think about 99% within the troposphere and the stratosphere. Yeah. So once you get to these top layers, there's, there's, you're right, not much. While, before we leave height and depth, though, I, I thought it'd be useful to do a little analogy. So I, I was kind of working out some figures. So the radius of the Earth is about 6,371 kilometres. That's pretty precise. Roughly. Roughly, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everything's going to get much rougher from here. Um, okay, so uh, the atmospheric depth up to the top of thermosphere might be about 700 kilometres or yeah. so. Uh, which, okay, this is where we get really rough. Let's say it's a factor of 10. Okay. So uh, That's the a... first thing that they, um, when I, I did astronomy um, uh, at, at university and I walked into the first lecture and the guy wrote one equals 10, huh. uh, at the, you know, first, and then he scrubbed it out and put one equals 100 because that's the kind of orders of magnitude you're dealing with in astronomy. But anyway, yeah. so, so really? to interrupt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in within a factor of 10, you're doing really well. So. Yeah, they were always they were all sort of a laughing stock in the physics department. I, I, I for, well, by the normal physicist, I measured the speed of light in a lab experiment and I was a factor of two out. The guy assessing me was an astronomer, and he went, "Oh, yeah, was basically right." So within a factor of two, I think it's not even close. It's a bit different in meteorology. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I hasten to add. Yeah. Go on, Claire. We different. Sorry different about that. No, no, no. Our that's right. Reveries about physics underground. Uh, so, so uh, that means the depth of the atmosphere is about a tenth of the Earth's radius. Yeah. Uh, so to put that into perspective, a football has a radius of about 11 centimeters. Mm-hmm. A standard football is 22 centimeters wide. So that would mean, if you imagine a football. Your complete atmosphere is going to be about one centimetre deep across the surface of that football. So that's for the whole atmosphere. That's the whole atmosphere. Yeah. That, 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 your little finger or something. About like with it. your little finger. Something yeah, like something like. But that's finger. not that's not even just for the weathery bit of the atmosphere. No, right? that's going to that's be the a whole fraction. atmosphere. Okay. That's so yeah. if we go to the stratosphere, which again is is you know more than just the weather bit, that's another factor of ten smaller. So we're talking about maybe fifty kilometres versus our seven hundred. Uh, so that means our stratosphere is only going to be a millimetre on the surface of our football. And stratosphere, yeah. and stratosphere, yeah. So w- when you think about it like that, this so then kind the of onion skin of the atmosphere that we've yeah. got that's protecting us is tiny. So then the bit with the with the actual weather in it is going to be even smaller again, right? So exactly. that's going to be like, what, half a millimetre or something? Right? Not something even. like that, or even a fifth. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's almost starting to become very difficult to envisage that on a football, even. You kind of lie a hair or something on a football, maybe. Yeah, that's high energy photons to ionize to really stuff. Ionize stuff so break, break, basically to break down molecules in, uh, and, and um, 
into their component parts. Yeah, so, so, so. so when we talk about ionizing stuff, that's when we kind of zap molecules with enough energy that we smash them into bits. And those bits can actually be charged, yeah. And so this is important for some stuff like Aurora Borealis. So northern lights are caused by, particularly I think when there's solar storms, right, isn't there? We get loads of these charged particles, which then kind of zip along the, the magnetic Field fields lines, yeah. and end up at the poles. And as they do that, these charged particles smash into loads of gas molecules. Mm. Depending on what the gas molecules are, we get different colors. So I've got some of them written down here. Yeah, okay, so when you see green or red uh, northern lights, that's it smashing into oxygen molecules. Blue is nitrogen molecules, and sort of purple is uh, nitrogen, but uh, higher up, you know, so... so oh, I, I, never, I never knew that. I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, uh, that you could... See. I remember as a kid seeing the aurora borealis red across the sky, you know, yeah. and you get this 11-year solar cycle as well, so you see it once in a while, and um, we see it further south. So do we know, I mean, as far as I understand it, the ionosphere isn't actually another layer. It encompasses some of the things we've been talking about, right? So I think the ionosphere is a bit of the mesosphere and then, you know, the thermosphere and the exosphere as well. So it's just like you said, Doug, it's just a way of saying the places where the, the, the air is ionized. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. But, it, but it's not, um, so earlier on we were basically defining the layers in the atmosphere by sort of the direction the temperature is going with height. Mm. That, the, you know, where it turns over essentially yeah. but it sounds like the ionosphere is isn't really like that it's just you're high enough that you're interacting with high energy photons yeah that's right sun. i think okay. basically okay that makes sense. A different concept yeah, yeah i think so anything else what about the we mentioned this right at the head of the show what about the planetary boundary layer have you guys heard of that before Oh, yes. Well, that's where all the really exciting stuff happens. <laughs> that really <laughs> is. More exciting stuff. <laughs> sure, there's no, nothing more exciting than weather. It really, really, really is where we are, right? The planetary boundary yeah, layer. Yeah, we were in it. So yeah. th I think this is like a fluid dynamics thing originally. So if you, if you rush fluid, you know, past a surface, the bit where the fluid meets the surface, you get some, some funky stuff happening, you know, because, you, you know, nature doesn't like discontinuities. It doesn't like something going really fast next to something going stationary. So what happens instead is you get lots of sort of bubbly kind of rough well not i shouldn't say bubbly that's the wrong word but you know lots like of turbulence. eddies and turbulence yeah, and things don't yeah, you yeah. Exactly. so it. so i was looking at earlier this is interesting at, at, at the atmosphere of jupiter and it and it it doesn't appear with the vertical structure you know actually if you look at the vert vertical structure of the atmosphere of jupiter this massive gas giant um the the curves of temperature are kind of familiar although they're different except that there's no surface yeah. so you end up just transitioning into essentially in, into a liquid in the in the core of the planet. That's um, so you don't have internally. You might have boundary layers where the the the, um, the rings and uh, not the rings um, the zones yeah. sort of interact and you get that turbulent flow. But as you go down into the planet, you don't have this kind of boundary layer that we have where you're sat on a solid surface and you've got the atmosphere rushing over you. So it's, it's probably worth pointing out when when I said fluid just now and fluid dynamics, it, this kind of science I think originally was probably in the industrial revolution when we were pushing water through pipes and stuff that people started to find out about this. But actually gases are fluids as well, believe it or not, you know, using the scientific definition of the word fluid. So we've got liquids and gases are both things that flow. And um, so the atmosphere next to the Earth, that's a fluid. So as the air moves over the Earth, depending on lots of things like how rough the Earth is, so if you've got mountains or trees and things like this, then you get lots of turbulence and you get this bottom layer of the atmosphere that's super well mixed. So if you've got pollution or smoke or something, that will get mixed through that layer in the over the course of an hour kind of thing. And interestingly, if you're over something very smooth, 
So if you're over um, a desert or the ocean, then you get this very, very shallow mixed layer because there's none of this friction this, this, uh, to, to you know, make the air turbulent to mix and, it up. And you get high winds, right? So yeah. you get higher winds over the ocean. Uh, yeah, and Absolutely. it's just less rough. Yeah, so that's worth mentioning. Plant-free boundary layer, is the, that's the, really is the bit that you stand in. That's it, the bit that we live in. And the height of that changes. So we've talked yeah. about fairly fixed heights for some of these other layers, but mm. that really varies, as you say, between where, where you are, but also between night and day because of the temperature difference. And if it's a particularly hot day, you're going to get a lot more convection. So your planetary boundary layer is going to be much higher. And we get, you know, potentially lower boundary layers in the middle latitudes compared to in the tropics and things like that. So we started out uh, outside, and it was too cold to raise this while we were outside because mm -hmm. I, you know, I needed to get inside. Uh, but I had a question, uh, which may be obvious, but it might not be. So, how high up in the atmosphere can we see? Oh, hang on a second. That's a great question. That's really okay. W where's the blue bit? You mean? Like, well, it depends well, if it's cloudy, bit, right? Yeah, okay. if, it's, if it's cloudy, then surely we can see the bottom of the clouds, right? We can see to the bottom of the clouds. That's an irrefutable answer. Which is about... Which is, uh, oh, well, I don't know, it depends on the clouds, right? Okay, oh, nice answer. Well done, <laughs> good. Always, it's a, yeah. it's about Always answer the, a question with a question. Well, it's usually about in the troposphere, right? So, so it's anywhere. definitely, you know, it's going to be below 12 kilometres or so. Yeah, so and okay. on a miserable day when we've got low cloud layers, we're probably a few kilometres Yeah, so dark. in Britain for most of the time, you know, three or four hundred yards, I don't know. So how about on a nice... <laughs> Clearish day. So I don't know the answer to so this. Clear. That's a so great at one. night. You can see all the way through it. Yeah. So How what can you see at night? Stars. Exactly. I feel, I feel like I'm being trapped here. <laughs> <laughs> but you no, can say no, okay. So so, okay, so, so it actually so so it's um, essentially the blue sky is scattered light, scattered blue light. So it's come from the sun, hit hit, hit some of the atmosphere, and scattered down into your eyes. So, at what sort of what is the average depth of scattering that you can see? Is that is that that's kind of the question that we're asking here, isn't it? And I don't know so the answer you, to that. You can invert the question and look at photos like the blue marble and stuff. So, do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. These these so photos of the yeah. Earth from space, satellite from pictures, space, yeah, composites. Or, um, yeah. So you can see moon, you can see the blue atmosphere in a in a kind of glow surrounding the the you know the disk of of the sphere of Earth, right? And it looks pretty thin. <laughs> well, it's like our football analogy. Yeah, do you like have an answer? Do you have an answer, Claire? Well, I think. Tell I, me, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really varies. So, on your yeah. cloudy day, as you said, you can only see maybe up to the middle of the troposphere, a few kilometres. On a clear day, we might be able to see quite high cirrus clouds, which might be you know nearer the top of the troposphere. But as Neil said, at night you can see through to the stars on a clear day. In the daytime, we can see the sun, so we can actually yeah. see all the way through, through the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. At almost at any point, as long That's as the point, sky actually. isn't covered in clouds, which I think is really, it's I really had to think about dim. this. Everything's too, the stars are too dim, to, so the scattered light is overcoming That's the light. I can't believe I didn't realise you can see the sun during the day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not obvious if somebody asks you. And you or know, we can. You, I mean, Neil grew, grew up in Scotland, so <laughs> <laughs> the great golden god in the sky that comes back every year. Maybe that's why he's just not used to it. Yeah. But, you know, you can see the space station, which Good we said point. is at 400 kilometres. Yeah, yeah, you can okay. see the planet. We can see all the way through. We can see the aurora. So actually, depending on what's happening and where certain things are, we can actually see different heights in the atmosphere, which is, is quite, you know, it takes okay. a while to get your mind around I guess that. what we're saying is a lot of the time things in the atmosphere are invisible and then in certain conditions they become visible and they become opaque, basically, or, or they scatter light, which means that they can actually transmit photons into your eyes where you can register them, right? Until that happens, you just look straight through them. 
That's it. You're just not aware of what you're seeing. So, yeah, go outside, have a look up. Hopefully it won't be horribly cloudy and, and have a look at what you can see. Daytime, nighttime and uh, try and spot out some of the things we've been talking about. All right. I think that's about all we've got for this time. But um, so next time we're going to start a little mini podcast series on how a weather forecast made, right? Yeah, so we're going to go from all the way from taking observations into running it through a supercomputer and delivering them to people like you. Um, so if you've got any questions about that, then we'd love it if you got in contact. So if you guys got the contact details for the podcast. Yeah, you can email us at mostlyweather at metoffice.gov.uk. Or you can tweet me at Neil H. Robinson. That's spelled N-I-A-L-L, Neil H. Robinson. Or Doug, what's your Twitter handle? I'm at Doug McNeil. And I believe we peer pressured uh, you into getting a Twitter address, didn't we? So what's yours? You did indeed. Uh, although I now regret how complicated my name is to spell. <laughs> it's so it's at Claire S. Whittam, which is Claire, with which is C-L-A-I-R-E. It's an S. S, which is S. Which is an S, yeah. And then it's Whittam, which, listen carefully, is W-I-T-H-A-M. Um, yeah, so... Whittam. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, it's not Whittam, yeah. it's definitely Whittam. <laughs> Okay, brilliant. So we're looking forward to tons of great questions which you can address next time. Um, that's about all we've got time for. Thanks for joining us and see you in a bit. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.